If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Calls Cloud Business Phone Service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. That is right. You are listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I am your host, Todd Huff. Email, as always, Todd at ToddHuffShow.com, Facebook.com, slash Todd Huff Show for those of you who want to check out Facebook, watch us live there. So long as, yes, our friends at Facebook allow that to be the case, allow that to happen. Thank you for joining us. Hope you had a good a good weekend, a good Father's Day for those dads out there. I don't know that I mentioned that on Friday. That's pretty pathetic. Didn't think about that until the end of the episode on Friday. So my apologies about that. I had a good a good Father's Day. In fact, I had one of my my littlest handed me a gift. And <laughs> she they, they did several things for me. But she did something, uh, you know, just had found something else she wanted to give me and she hands it to me in this hands me a baggie a small baggie and has a paper towel inside and she said don't worry dad it's it's clean now i i cleaned it (laughs) so anyway uh the joys of children i love it and uh had a great father's day myself hope you did as well so i want to talk here off the top i want to talk a little bit about uh don't really want to if I'm being honest, if I'm being candid about this, I don't really want to. But I'm going to talk about John Bolton. We're not going to spend a whole a lot of time talking about uh, spend a lot of time talking about this. But John Bolton, former advisor to the president, has written a book about Trump, a tell-all memoir, as they say. And this um, this book is you know, being produced. Now, what's interesting is, you know, normally, and I remember we occasionally, we don't do a lot of interviews. We will do more as we continue to grow this program. In fact, there's some exciting things coming from this program here as we continue to to grow and, uh, you know, add to our team and so forth. But I remember talking in, in one of our interviews with a He's a former Navy SEAL, retired Navy SEAL, and his name's Jack Carr. And I remember talking with him about one of his books uh, that he had written, and he was telling me about the process that, you know, to get approved by the government, it took extra time so that they could go through and make sure that there was nothing in his book that was, you know, compromising national security secrets or anything that was in there that should not be in there. And it eventually, 
of course, um, it passed. I mean, it, it, it got approval, but it, it took longer. This this is just part of the bureaucracy of of government. It ended up taking much longer even than they thought it would, which they expected it to take a long time to begin with. But see, he followed the rules here, and he didn't just simply say, we're going to publish this thing no matter what. Of course, his book was not a scathing memoir about the, well, a tell-all memoir against about President Trump. And that's what happened here with with John Bolton. His team have basically just said, you know what, to heck with this. We're going to produce this book no matter what happens here. We're going to produce it and live, you know, just live with the results. And so the Trump administration tried to get an injunction stopping this book from being published. So again, the normal procedures were completely – they weren't completely abandoned because they were in the process of waiting for the government review of this. But they said, you know what, to heck with this. We're going to produce this thing. So Team Trump, the Trump administration, said no, we need to go to court, have an injunction here to stop the publishing of this book. The The judge in the case – the judge in the case, U.S. District Judge Royce Lamberth in Washington, D.C., Saturday. Um, Saturday said that this was, uh, you know, the Justice Department, the Trump administration's attempt to stop the publishing of this book, um, wasn't going to work. And that's because that's because they couldn't prove that they could really pull it off effectively. In fact, he didn't just, but he didn't come out and, you know, rule in favor of Bolton. In fact, he said, he said this, he, referring to Bolton, has exposed his country to harm and himself to civil and potentially criminal liability. But these facts do not control the motion before the court. The government has failed to establish that an injunction will prevent irreparable harm. And so you may have already seen that there are. What um, leaked copies of the book that you can get potentially, I guess. I haven't dug too much into this. I've just seen the headlines. But you can get the book um, pirated. Pirated copies of, of the Bolton book are apparently available online. So the judge says, look, you can already get the book. You can't, you know, Justice Department, you cannot prevent irreparable harm here by you know by me stopping production of this book because it sounds like the book's already out there there's already been leaked uh, information to the press there's already been excerpts of this thing that have been talked about in the media and so forth and so that's what he ruled but it wasn't so much that he was saying Bolton was in the clear he simply said Trump's justice department could not demonstrate that stopping the production of this book, the publishing of this book, would prevent um, irreparable harm to the government. So now what happens is there will be a breach of contract lawsuit, and Bolton, who got a $2 million, with an M, dollar book advance, um, and of course he gets royalties on the book as well, now potentially could be forfeiting all of that, 
all of that money, potentially, as well as potential criminal, potential criminal charges from playing fast and loose, potentially, again, potentially, with national security and what he's publishing in this book. You know, I tell you what this reminds me, well, of course, it obviously reminds me of, of Hillary Clinton. It's almost as though he's called up Hillary Clinton and said, hey, help me navigate, help me navigate the proper way to handle this. And they said, look, if you're on the side that's against President Donald Trump, you're all good. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what national secrets you leak. It doesn't matter what you tell the American public. It doesn't matter if it was classified when you wrote it. It doesn't matter if you knew that it was classified when you wrote it. It doesn't matter if it was intentional. Remember this whole thing with Comey a couple of years ago with Hillary Clinton back in 2016? She was reckless in the way that she was handling national security, but yet she wasn't – I always draw a blank. There's, a, there's another term um, that you know she was not uh, – her recklessness was not – I can't think of the term that they were – that he used at the time, but she wasn't – you know um, she didn't reach that level of recklessness, although the, the words that were used are synonymous with one another. They're synonymous – it's just a bizarre way of putting it, but this is this is the the, the logic. This is the excuse, uh, you know, the, the way that behavior is excused when the the left is involved here. And I know Bolton's not. Uh, I'm not saying he's he's a a leftist. I'm not saying that, but he's definitely not an ally of the president. If you are against the president, or you are a liberal, so if you're against him ideologically, or you're against him in general, if you're a never Trumper. If you're a Republican for Biden, you're seeing some ads on this as well. People that are saying I'm voting for for Biden. I watched, uh, you know, you're, you're given the ability, you're given pretty much blanket immunity from anything that you do wrong. It suddenly suddenly doesn't matter. I watched a little bit of this interview that I think it was what Martha Raddatz had last night, ABC News with John Bolton. He said during the, the interview that he was not voting for Biden. He was not voting for Biden, but he's not going to vote for Trump as well. In fact, he's going to be looking for someone to write in. There you go. The old write in. I, I don't understand. I really don't. I know that maybe some of you listening to my voice are not going to be voting for Trump. But look, in this presidential campaign, it's either going to be a second term for President Donald J. Trump or it's going to be Joe Biden, asterisk, let me put an asterisk there. Unless the Democrat Party decides to run someone other than Joe Biden in November, which they could still pull the rug out from underneath the Biden campaign here as we get to the end of the campaign season. I mean, we've got the the convention is not too far away. His choice of VP, Biden's, is not that far away, um, and, and which, you know, we'll kind of be announced, I guess, as we head into the convention season. This stuff is not that far away. In fact, the election in early November is pretty much, what, July, August, September, October, four and a half months away now. So, I mean, we're down to the, you know, we're down to the, the final leg of the process before the general election in early November. So, 
this idea um, that someone else besides whoever Bolton writes down on his write-in ballot, on his ballot, whoever's name he writes in in the election, has literally 0.000, almost an infinite number of zeros, percent chance of winning in 2020. So I guess Bolton, Bolton can hold his head high, <laughs> I guess, is the way he looks at this. And knowing that he, uh, you know, did not vote for the terrible president Donald J. Trump for a second term, I guess he can hold his head high about that. Even though he completely wastes his vote by writing in, I mean, he can write in whoever he can write in Mickey Mouse, he could write in, he could write in himself, John Bolton, he could write in, maybe he could write in Mitt Romney, throw Mitt in the into the mix. Maybe he could write in. Uh, I mean, it's just any any number of people he could write, and it doesn't matter. He could write Todd Huff in there. Not going to win. No interest in winning either, by the way. But this idea, this idea that that pure, uh, he, he has a, a pure vote because it's not been tarnished by, by Trump. I mean, this is the guy that's on record saying that he would, I heard him last night say this in the interview with Martha Raddatz. You know, there were, Things he didn't say during the Trump administration when he was serving there because, you know, he basically was saying the opposite and defending the idea that you you lie to protect uh, a commander in chief. It's okay to lie. So now I'm wondering why it's okay to, you know, why why should we suddenly believe him? Is it is it not okay to lie when you're selling a book as uh, as well, Mr. Bolton? So I have all these questions. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. Because, um, you know, they act like this is – the media acts like this is the, this is the book that's going to bring down and topple the Trump presidency. I mean, I just – I don't know what you could believe in this book or not. I listened to a lot of the criticisms he had in the interview with Martha Raddatz about Trump last night. And it's mo- mostly that he thought Trump was naive on the political stage, on the world stage with leaders like Kim jong Un, Kim Jong Un, and um, Vladimir Putin. That Trump used these as personal events to help him, you know, personally, not really so much help the country. I still think there's an um, just a misunderstanding of who Trump is and what he's trying to do at these, you know, at these big stage meetings and so forth. I think. I think that Trump thinks he can pull these things off. I think that Trump thinks these folks need to be communicated with, and I think he thinks that he can at least win their, uh, win them over to a point with his personality. And then, you know, if he gets them to like him or to see that there's some sort of relationship there, that's the best chance at getting a larger agreement from these these individuals uh, as, a, as, as it pertains to their countries uh, specifically. And I would think that's really the only way um, to, to get this. People get upset from some of the things that he says to Kim Jong-un, the brutal dictator. But of course, there's a, a method to the madness. And of course, he's willing to back this up with, you know, some strong... Uh, <laughs> some strong symbolism or even if necessary. I mean, I think the, these folks know that he's willing to use 
the U.S. military, God forbid, if that ever has to be the case. I think that they realize that this guy is a little bit different <laughs> than some of the other presidents that we've that we've had. And he's prepared to use diplomacy. He wants to use diplomacy. He wants to find a way to to work things out, to get things, results that are in the best interests of this nation. And he's prepared to use the military on the one side, but on the other side, you know, barring, you know, if if this goes completely the wrong way and something aggressive happens from these these adversaries towards the United States or to or or our interests. But he's also willing to to figure out a way to to talk through this and find a solution. So of course no major ground has been made up. I mean Kim Jong un and now his sister are acting like, you know, the the radical crazies that they are. Um, of course, it's understandable. It's a it's a country that's that's falling apart. It's poor. It's not you know. It's just. I think Bolton described them last night as a nation of twenty five million people who were political prisoners, who were in political concentration camps, effectively. And I think that's probably a good depiction. Anyway, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this. I just want to, uh, since it's in the news, I wanted to go over it. Of course, it's you know going to matter. They're going to act like. Everything in this book uh, should bring down the Trump presidency, which is completely predictable. And I'm not saying there's not damning things in here, but again, my question is what can we what can we really believe from a guy who told us that he would lie to protect the administration or whatever when he was in the administration? I'm just wondering what else he would do if it's okay to lie when you produce a book. I think his credibility has flown out the window, and um, you know he's going to be politically protected by the media, by the Democrats, because he is being used as a political pawn willingly for the left and for the media to carry this narrative that Trump is not fit to be your commander in chief and he should not be elected, reelected in 2020. So got to take a time out. Quick break here. Come back and shift gears. You're listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back. So I want to tell you that, by the way, this program is brought to you by our friends at Economy Heating, Air Conditioning, and Plumbing as we get into the warmer summer months. In fact, summer's officially here, right? I didn't look exactly at the date of the solstice this year, but it's usually either on June 21st at or around June 21st. Here we are, June 22nd. So longest daylight hours of the year, great time, great time of the year, of course, but means that the dog days of summer are not far behind us, or ahead of us, I should say here, in the Indiana, central Indiana area. If you are concerned about your furnace, whether or not it's running efficiently, it needs tuned up, or possibly maybe you even need a new furnace, I encourage you to check out our friends at Economy Heating, Air Conditioning, and Plumbing, Jod and his team of professionals there will take good care of you and if you're looking to get some help in that particular area just ask that you reach out to them and consider economy heating air conditioning and plumbing you can learn more by visiting their website economyheatingandair.com that's economy 
heatingandair.com. Be sure to tell them that Todd sent you. So I want to shift gears here a little bit. I want to talk about um, President Trump. President Trump was on his son's, I guess, podcast. He was being interviewed by Donald Trump Jr., and they talked for, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. And President Trump um, kind of speculated or painted the picture as to what this nation would look like, in his opinion, as we enter this campaign season. But what this nation would look like if the Democrats were to win in 2020. And if he, of course, uh, makes some comments that predictably upset the left. The president said that the whole country will be Minneapolis, which, of course, was saved by President Trump. And he pointed this out whenever he sent uh, sent troops in, saved Minneapolis by enforcing the law, even as those in the city of uh, Minneapolis those in the uh, state of Minnesota refused to do so in the wake of the George Floyd uh, protests, and particularly the riots. The protests, look, again, the protests are not the problem. We've talked about this a lot. This is obvious to any American who wants to uh, be a free thinker and understand things, who wants to be logical and and simply communicate and understand truth. Any American who has that as their starting point understands that there's a difference between riots and protests. Any American understands that we do have the right. I shouldn't say any American, any fair-minded American. Chris Cuomo needs someone to tell him, to show him, in fact, where it says that protesters must be peaceful. I kid you not. Chris Cuomo, maybe I'll pull that sound by. He said that a couple of weeks ago. Show me, he says. Show me where it says they've got to be peaceful. Um, the First Amendment? Um, this is not a complicated thing, tough guy, Chris Cuomo. I know that you've got the inside track on how to whip the coronavirus with your mental toughness and your, uh, your just your, your personal drive to defeat it. I guess that that also means that if someone doesn't... Um, beat coronavirus god forbid it's because they didn't i mean it's just silliness that they didn't have the mental toughness of chris cuomo chris cuomo of course gets into it with a a gentleman riding a bike when he was outside exposing himself to other people when he was infected with coronavirus when he was telling us about the visions that he was having with coronavirus on his nightly program his nightly musings and wanderings into God only knows where this show takes us with some of the things he talks about. But tough guy Chris Cuomo can't find where it says that we have the right to peaceably assemble. Of course, it's in the Constitution. It's the whole point. We have the right uh, to assemble, to peaceably assemble, and to petition our government for a redress of grievances. This, again, is not, uh, not complicated, not difficult. But nonetheless, Chris Cuomo has has some trouble understanding this. Of course, he's got an agenda and an axe to grind as well, metaphorical axe to grind. I know Chris Cuomo may have a, a real axe to grind too since he's 
tough guy on display. Probably has to do some axe throwing competition in the backyard. Maybe that's with and without coronavirus. I don't know. But anyway, so there's an obvious difference between the protesters and the rioters. But Trump is right. The people that stopped the rioters were not the Democrats. In fact, the people who the, the places that are run by Democrats um, candidly have the most damage. Right. In fact, they've even seceded, uh, seceded part of the state, part of the city to people like Chop or Chaz or whatever you want to call this uh, group of folks that found their way out of mommy and daddy's basement into a city um, run by a warlord where they have borders, where they demand for identification, where they're carrying weapons, all things that they're – of course, they're against a lot – but all these things they're against in American civilization, American society, but yet these are the very first things that they they go to in their little make-believe uh, utopia there in the city of Chaz or Chop in, in Seattle. Anyway, I'm going to play this sound by President Trump talking with his son Donald Trump Jr. about what it will look like if, heaven forbid, Democrats win, Biden wins – in 2020. This, of course, has uh, created some backlash, as it always does with Trump. Uh, his comments have created some backlash from the media. People saying that, oh, he's just trying to scare people into voting for him. Meanwhile, meanwhile, if you look at these places that, that are now looking to completely uh, abolish the police, get rid of police, defund the police, Minneapolis, Atlanta now, all different places. Actually, it may have been the whole state of Georgia now that I say that. New York City's talked about this. I mean, I've seen all sorts of cities on this list. But anyway, when I talk about Trump and what he said to Donald Trump Jr. and where he's, well, just talk about that. When we get back after the break, sit tight. See you on the other side of the break in just a minute. Welcome back. So let's listen to what Trump has to say if the Democrats, heaven forbid, win the 2020 the 2020 election, right? Biden, let's just picture this for a minute. Biden, I know it's a Monday, Monday morning. You don't want to think about these things, but just hang on. I'm not saying we're anywhere near this yet. We've got a four and a half month campaign yet to be waged and Biden's still hiding in his basement. Biden's still locked away. They're still keeping him hidden. He's not done a a press conference in 80 days or whatever it is. And they're over there clapping their hands, thinking that they've pulled a fast one on the American people. But folks, this fantasy world is coming to an end. The fantasy world of Joe Biden being able to hide indefinitely is quickly coming to an end as we move into these months, later summer, early fall, as we set up the 2020 general election. Trump is not going to allow this. Biden, hiding Biden or Biden's hiding or whatever it is, the, the hashtag or the catchphrase or whatever, is not going to work indefinitely. The gig will be up in short order, and so this will be a different 
a different campaign once that, of course, is um, the case. Biden will be out there telling, you know, like he did with Charlemagne, the God, on the, whatever, it was a breakfast club, that, that interview a few weeks ago where he said, if you don't vote for him over Trump, then you ain't black. Biden will be out there telling black people they're not black enough, women that they're not female, um, Democrats that they're, who knows, he calls his sister his wife, his wife his sister. Biden's liable to say any number of things. He might end up endorsing Trump for 2020 <laughs> before we get uh, too far down this down this path. So anyway, that's, you know, Biden, let's just say, Biden wins, Senate is under Democrat control, House remains under Democrat control as well. That's a terrible scenario. It's one that can happen. I'm not saying it's likely, but I'm simply saying it is a possibility at this point. And so Trump's saying if that's the case, if Biden wins, this is what we have to look forward to. And I just want you to hear how he uh, describes this, speaking with his son, um, on a podcast or whatever, you just a, just an interview here about a twenty minute interview. We're gonna play a, a quick clip of that of Trump explaining what it will look like if Democrats win. That if the Democrats get in, we are literally going to end up in a recession slash depression, the likes of which you've never seen. There will be tremendous negative growth. There will be tremendous uh, bedlam all over the place. There won't be law and order. You'll have, you'll have a Seattle. You'll have a Minneapolis like you've never seen before. The whole country will be Minneapolis. And we saved it by me enforcing and sending the troops in, the National Guard. I insisted on it. But that was after four days. They should have done it on night number one instead of having the police run down the street, run away, give up the precinct. Nobody's ever seen a thing like that. So I think that... Uh, I think we're going to have a tremendous success. I think, well, actually, I think by that time, the Democrats are just going to say, let's work with the president. Well, it's interesting. So if we're talking about Democrats. Okay. So you hear the picture that he's painted here. And it's not far from reality. I know folks do not want to acknowledge this. And this, again, I always differentiate. If you're a rank-and-file Democrat hearing my voice, I'm not lumping you in with this. I, In my personal experience, my personal experience, even uh, the, the vast majority of Democrats that I've spoken with who are, you know, just people that I know, you know, in, in the, the general population, they're reasonable people. In fact, if we have a conversation, I'll find that they – that we'll have agreement on a lot of a lot of things. On a lot of things, I'm talking. I'm not talking about them. These are folks that can, and you know, generally speaking, can be persuaded. You can find a common ground. I've had Democrats, even self-identified liberal Democrats, tell me one in particular. I can tell you. I won't mention her name, but she told me that you know, Todd, I could never support a conservative Republican, but I could support you. Basically, telling me that she would vote for me. Because she knew me, and I'm, you know, she's not, I don't think, ready to accept this yet, but she would support a lot of Republicans if she was given the chance to know them and understand their ideology. I had a conversation the other day with a, a young lady, and she, she made the comment to me. She said, I'm starting to like 
your people is how she put it. Your people, not of course how I look at it, but she's just her way of articulating this. Your people, meaning conservative Republicans, more than my people, as she put it, referring to um, I, I don't know what generation Z or generation Y millennials, um, leftists. She realizes after having some some conversation and listening to the rationale of two conservative people that there's not hate in the minds and hearts of conservatives. There's actually ideas there, and when the you know when there's an explanation, a story to the ideas, some sort of framework instead of just this person's a racist, people realize you know what that actually makes a whole lot of sense. And she told she told me that recently, and when she overheard a conversation between me and another conservative Republican, she knew that, well, she gets to know me and knows that I don't hate people. She gets to hear this guy talk, some other individual named Eric, and she's realizing that, you know what, this is actually kind of makes sense, and there's not hate. This is not coming from that point of view. This is coming from a point of view uh, where people are the conservatives actually embrace certain ideas and concepts that it would be good to see more of. They're not trying to harm people. They're basically saying they believe in liberty. They're basically saying that uh, if you make wrong choices, you know it's kind of it's kind of your situation. But it doesn't mean that we necessarily don't try to help um, individually or you know whatever. It's just that. The government is not designed or should not be designed to protect people who routinely make bad choices and put the taxpayer on the hook for that. That's not a good thing. Anyway, I'm simply pointing out that I'm not talking about rank-and-file Democrats here. I'm talking about Democrats who who are in control, the ones that are actually calling the shots, the Nancy Pelosi's, the Adam Schiff's, the Chuck Schumer's, the fill-in-the-blank, Right. Those folks, those folks are manipulators. They're political deceivers. They're the ones putting on the kente cloth to kneel in the Capitol building, um, you know, to make it look like that they're. I mean, it's 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 a political. It's bad political theater on top of that. So I'm talking about these folks, but what they want. I mean, they they come down on the side of lawlessness. They come down on the side of economic policies that lead to further. Uh, further distress in economies, leading to recessions. Who knows the mistakes they would make if they had control of the reins of you know the Senate, the House, and of course the presidency with Biden. Who knows the sorts of policies we would see? Who knows if Biden would have unleashed another depression? You know, it's interesting to think about this. It's also terrifying to think about what would have happened if Hillary was in charge during these times. And I think one of the things that's overlooked, and I got to take a break here, but one of the things that's overlooked is that the starting point of where we were economically heading into COVID would have been a much different place. It would not have been the roaring economy that we had seen with Trump. Businesses would have been skeptical of Clinton. Businesses would have not seen less bureaucracy, tax breaks. They would have seen probably a even an increased heavy hand from the government. More, t- I don't. I'm not saying tax rates would have been increased, but they certainly could have been. These folks hate the private sector. 
And I'm not saying there's nothing to be concerned about with the private sector or businesses, you know, how, how a business can actually affect our liberty as well, especially monopolies. Of course, there's a discussion and you know to be had there and some things that need to be understood. But anyway, my point here is saying that this is the policies that they want, the policies that they embrace, defunding police, dismantling police, no ID to vote. Those sorts of things. I mean, it's just reparations. It's just plum silliness what we're talking about here. And you think about their policies, not just social policies or whatever uh, sort of craziness they want to come up with in those particular areas, but it's also the economic policies, the heavy hand of government, the growth of government, the stifling effect it has on on the economy on businesses, on the private sector. Got to take a time out. Come back, shift gears yet again. You're listening here to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. Welcome back. Let's talk a little bit here. I don't have much time uh, remaining here today, but let's talk a little bit really quickly about Trump's rally in Oklahoma. Trump has this rally over the weekend. Uh, There were, prior to the event, requests for over a million million tickets or whatever in, uh, in Oklahoma, and the turnout turned to be nothing of that sort. I think the stadium was reported to have around six or 7,000 people in it, holds I think somewhere around 20. And so the turnout wasn't as good. Of course, this is, you know, Trump's being mocked. You know, this is what he gets to, to pick a place uh, in the United States here during coronavirus, all this sort of stuff. Meanwhile, Biden's got a room for, full of people sitting in chairs with circles around him so they don't socially, you know, bump into somebody, which I'm not, look, I'm not, don't want to get into that whole thing about social distancing. I'm just saying, let's not overreact here as to what this might mean for 2020. Some people are already saying it's the death knell for the campaign. There's no excitement. People are tired of this, tired of Trump and all this. In fact, you've also got CNN and AOC saying it's TikTokers that have uh, millennial or not even millennial youth TikTokers who have hijacked this process and made it look like people wanted these tickets. Trump's campaign, of course, is saying that's not the case, but millennials or I guess I should even say Gen Zers, I don't know, some young liberals, uh, AOC is saying use TikTok. She's proud of them, by the way, to falsely request tickets and make it look like more people were going to be there than actually were. Of course, TikTok is owned by China, the communist Chinese, so she's applauding, I guess, foreign influence in our election, I suppose. Anyway, got to take a time out here. Just don't have time to talk about this as we're coming to a close here. Hour number one, you're listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back here. Sorry, I was doing something else during the break and just didn't quite get back as quickly as I had hoped. So 
Anyway, folks, that brings us, uh, we're coming uh, to a conclusion of, of the program today. I'm going to tell you as well, we are, and I appreciate your patience and understanding here as we continue to to grow and things to change here on our end um, in, in ways that um, should be pretty substantial here, I think, in the not-too-distant future. So our two today, our two today is going to be an encore. There won't be anything on YouTube. Um, this is, you know, just as we go through this transition, I told you uh, that this is occasionally something that we're going to find ourselves uh, getting into as we work ourselves into a a better program. We've got some, you know, some additional st- uh, staff that we're bringing on board, some changes I think that you'll begin to see trickle down uh, through social media and other things. But uh, Hour 2 is not going to be live today. There's going to be an encore, and I appreciate your patience. Hope to be back at it again tomorrow. But anyway, that being said, there's the music telling me it's time to wrap up for the day, guys. As always, I appreciate you listening. SDG. See you tomorrow. Take care.